Righto, Money Mourners. Happy bloody holiday in Western Australia. It's a public holiday, but not for bloody money of mine on YouTube and every podcast platform out there. I think the market's still open too, mate, because it's not a public holiday over East. Oh, but mate, we, we're, we're taking the day off. We will not bloody... No, I was going to say we're actually working today. No, we're not. This wasn't pre-recorded. It's pre-recorded. <laughs> I'll be bloody drunk as a skunk somewhere. I hope so. we've done the work today that we're not covering. <laughs> We've done the work just on a different day. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Now, this is a bloody interesting chat. Dan Porter from Pure Asset Management over in Queensland. So I said we had to do this interview outside of rugby league season mm. and away from state of origin being a Queenslander, but I'll let, it, I'll let it happen. Rip and follow, but a very, very interesting fund, you would say. You hear the dirty word around convertible notes. They don't but, do that, mate. No, they've done a bit of a, would you call it a hot, just a hybrid or an alternative? How would yeah. you describe what he does? I, I mean, at, at the core, they're resource investors, They, um, but but the way that they provide you know, their, their investments or they invest in resources companies is they'll look to provide debt instruments, which, uh, and, and instead of doing convertible, it's a straight debt instrument, but then they separate, you know, an equity option on the outside, which some companies find attractive. But, you know, he, he just had some pretty good, thoughts on on the companies that they've um you know they're 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 active in the space at they look at a lot of stuff um dan himself used to be you know an an equity research analyst he covered oil and gas he covered coal stock so we we go into some of that towards the back half of the conversation as well but he's also just a he's just a good bloke Mm, and uh, conversation covered a lot on mining services in his day so we uh we ventured down that road he pretty much said some Harsh truths about mining services going public. It's a tough game. He acknowledged mining services and contracting is a bloody tough game. Depend, yeah, it depends on the model, obviously. I mean, some mm. yeah, some some business models are a lot harder than other, and a lot of a lot of mining services companies are thin margins, like we talked about. Yeah, and he, I think he did have one uh, one of their coupons, one of their debt instruments was to a mining services company, and whether he's hesitant on doing it again or not, but I don't know if he is interested. I know two that would probably fit the mould and that, like, because we've done the DD, the, f- <laughs> the first is DSI and the second is K-Drill. Different scales, different sizes, but in terms of mining services, yeah. D- D- well, as we've known, DSI is just pretty much not just the greatest ground support provider in the world, p- possibly the greatest company in the world, Um yeah, I mean they are they are a subsidiary of Sandvik, uh, but they're just <laughs> they're running their own race. Like they, they, they don't need. It's actually not a race because they, they didn't need Sandvik to buy them. <laughs> they were quite fine. They would have flourished, but like Sandvik obviously knew that they needed that. Sandvik needed DSI way more than DSI needed Sandvik. When when they're running their own race, here's the race I picture. Have you ever watched the the start of the Dictator? And Sasha Barrett Cohen's running the Olympics and he just starts shooting all the people alongside him. That's the race TSI's running. <laughs> it's, it, mate, there's going to be no one left to shoot soon because they, they control the ground support industry. So, mate, Dan Porter, if you're listening and DSI hit you up for some debt, oh, mate, I'd put zero risk on it. Like, mate, I mean, you'd probably give it interest free. Yeah, you like, probably treat it as a it's donation. Like Switzerland. It's a donation, really. Yeah, negative interest yeah. rate with them. It's bloody, <laughs> mate, DSI, absolute global leaders in ground support, and they're mm. always going to be. Simple as that. And we bloody are absolutely honoured that we're partnered with them. Oh, especially because I love split sets of mesh. I love gooey bolts. <laughs> mate, I love a good cable bolt. I love an MDX bolt. I love all their shit. Do you love Derek Head? I love 
absolutely love Derek Hurd. I would love to just have a session with him, yeah. like a proper day. Yeah. But uh, absolute GC of the bloody ground support industry, mate, DSI. So that's tick, one tick, DSI. K-Drill's a bit of a different one. It's not a direct relationship. We're not saying K-Drill are going to be wanting some debt or anything. Uh, Why do you need debt when you've got – he's got his arms. Like, Ryan's got his arms. They don't need to borrow to get any more CapEx, mate. They just pierce through everything. Yeah, he'd like. I think he actually – his arms are that big. He's probably just got $50 notes injected into them. Yeah. Like, they're bloody <laughs> massive. So – but if he's looking – if there's, like, a, a developer out there, they've got a project, they're heading towards, you know, feasibility, possible construction and everything, and they want to hit pure asset management up for a bit of debt and oppie arrangement – Here's how, here's how I think about the, mm. the equation for, 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 for Dan, right? He needs to know that the company is going to maybe have a bit of exploration upside about him for him to get comfortable to bloody loan the money. Yeah, out. beyond what they're developing. They need, yeah. a, they need a cherry on Kicker top. Kicker for the oppies to get in the money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah, wants those oppies to come good. Yeah, exactly. So, so how does he do that? Well, okay, you, you might have, say, whoever's there doing the, the grade control, grade control drilling for the bloody – fees and all that one if that's not k drill that's an issue to start with mm. and two if there's not a separate k drill rig there pumping some bloody rc diamond or air car air core holes in to find that cherry you're talking about ricard dinio mm -hmm. don't lend it to them put a bloody line through it move on to the next one you could probably make it a condition of the of the of the debt facility conditions price use k drill yeah 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 it's not even like it is a it's just a dot point. Like it's not a recommendation or something. It's just like use K-Drill. That yeah. could be the title of the document. And like if they're not, just piss off and ask someone else because, mate, if K-Drill are on there <laughs> and as we've said, Rhino Sullivan works 24 hours a day and is on call to intervene if the rigs break down and he just, as we said, grabs the rods with his bare bloody hands and blows down the pipe to flush it out, mate – there is no other company that can do that in Australia or the world, but K-Drill can. So it's as simple as that. K-Drill need to be drilling your bloody exploration holes or your infill holes or your grade control holes, whatever. Whatever bloody hole you got that you want drilled, K-Drill drill it and Ryan O'Sullivan make sure it's the best one you've ever got. Simple as that. Well said, mate. Get K-Drill. Righto, let's bloody hit, get into the yarn with Dan Porter from Pure Asset Management. One for the finance nerds, this one. They're going to, you're all going to love it. Here we go. Rip it. G'day, Dan. I'm bloody, uh, I'm, I'm stoked we could tee this up and, and have a yarn with you. Um, yeah, thanks, now, guys. Now, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Long, mate, thank, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every time someone says that, I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, geez. I, I bet you, um, Everyone always says, oh, I'm most like so-and-so, most like so-and-so. I'm guessing you're most like JD out of the three of us, mate. <laughs> it's the blonde hair and the glasses, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the Northern European skin, I reckon, probably as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, we're, um, we're, we're going to do things a little bit differently, I think, yeah. today. And uh, there's, a, there's a dirty word in mining finance, and it's, it's for good reason. That word is convertible note. The, the punters, yep. they, they, they have... Um, who've participated in equity markets for a long time, have, have, have a rule of thumb that you should run the moment you see the word convertible note out from your uh, junior yeah. exploration or, or mining company. Um, but, but Dan, you got a solution to this because yeah. your fund is a, is a credit fund, but you don't mm. do convertible notes. You separate the debt from 
from the the equity instrument being you know the, uh, the attaching option. Yep. And then you got debt and equity. It's not a it's not a hybrid. It's debt and equity. It's separate. Right. Separate. Have I summarised the pitch for pure? Uh, correctly, mate? That, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we always say that we have two facilities that we offer in our fund. One is a convertible note and the other is a detached facility, which we call a bond and warrant facility. And uh, in 100% of cases, we've offered the or people have taken up the bond and warrant facility. So that probably goes to show you that in over well, close to 50 deals now across two funds, uh, the demand for convertible notes is, is pretty limited. Um, but what we think we've done is something that's a lot more investor friendly, a lot more, uh, a, a lot more friendly for the corporates as well, um, and it works um, in terms of returns for our own investors. So we're having a good run um, in a pretty tough market. You know, uh, theoretically, we should outperform in a hard market, uh, and that's what we're doing. But um, getting the equity exposure allows us to benefit when things go well as, as well. So yeah, it's it's going it's going well for the small cap end. Yeah. Why, why do the why do the the mining companies that you you know you offer um, the two solutions towards? Why do they always choose to separate the debt from the attaching option? Yeah, the the real benefit is you know how much dilution is potentially coming um, from a from a corporate perspective. So if you think about a convertible note and it's and it's in its general form, it is form it is you know a mix of of debt plus equity. But in order to maximise your you know, the standing of a convertible note, you almost want the share price to go down so that you end up owning more of the equity. You're converting at a lower price, you're getting a bigger percentage of the equity and, you know, hopefully one day, you know, you can effectively, you know, have a loan-to-own scenario. And I think that's probably the situation that has happened to a lot of small miners. They've got into these situations, things haven't gone right. Um, you know, the share price is, is, is tanking and then the convertible guys come in and end up owning the project. Whereas what we do is we completely separate them and then we say, look, we'll value the warrant. Um, you know, the ASX makes us call it a warrant, not, not an option because it's a bespoke product. Um, but we know exactly the strike price and we know how many warrants are going to be issued. And we always price them at a premium. Now, that premium might be 20% or 100%, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, but what it means is we actually want the share price to go up. So that's where we're very different to every other sort of convertible note offering is that we're, we're aligned with shareholders. We want that, we want that equity to, to have a good run. So, you know, while we're getting a good return on debt, we don't want to, you know, burden the company with overly um, egregious debt terms. You know, our, our debt terms are pretty, are pretty vanilla, to be fair. Just 30% interest per annum and uh, <laughs> <laughs> if this mining cycle keeps going the way it's going, 30% will look pretty good. Um, <laughs> but um, no, most of our most of our, our notes go out between, between sort of 10 and 15%, just depending on the nature of the company and, and what they're doing. Um, so we're not trying to kill the companies with overloading their balance sheet with debt either. Um, but but the benefit for our investors is really that you get paid to wait. So these small miners, you know, we're focusing on a small cap end, really sub two hundred mil market cap. Um, hopefully, they grow into companies that are you know five six hundred mil. Um, but to to start with, we're focusing on that end. Um, there's just not a lot of capital options available for companies anymore. You know, especially the last eighteen months since we saw that commodity price crash in June of twenty two. Um, what was a pretty, you know, pretty favourable commodity price environment for for getting into 
the resources companies and particularly small end has has really turned on its head. So, um, in terms of what we look at and, and our investors and getting paid to wait for those catalysts to hit, that's what we're really looking for. So it's a bit of a win-win. We think good for companies and good for our investors. What's what's the risk profile like from your end, Bud? If you're you're targeting that smaller cap end of the market, yeah, uh, and lending out money, it's um probably a strict filtering process to who you're going to expose yourself to, I assume. Yeah, 100%. So we we do do a lot of DD. That's the benefit that we get of, of doing the, the debt side. Uh, so we've got some very good lawyers uh, that we work with. So um, they, they're very helpful in registering security uh, and, um, and going through a lot of the, the background documentation. But we also partner with a mining consultancy called Measure Group up here in Brisbane, and they can do a full technical review for us. So that's a bit different to, I think, a lot of small cap resources focused funds. We do that extra layer of DD, which, look, it is obviously much riskier end of the market that we're playing in. But we think we've backed some pretty good companies. Uh, Not everything goes up in a straight line, but we've had some good wins um, in that as well. So um, I think we've we've managed to 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 pick the risks and waylay them pretty pretty well. I almost think of your your risk profile as, in some ways, not. Like you don't have the extreme downside that yeah. that project financiers might have. Like you know, I was talking with the boys about um, Salt Lake Potash as an example of a mm. um, you know project at WA went tits up, and the the senior lenders got cents on the dollar. But we're talking in US hundreds of millions of dollars to to finance it. They were senior secured, of course. But you know, you guys, it's like ten million dollar bite sizes for these loans. You get security. So your worst case scenario is. Way better than nine cents on the dollar you would you would anticipate just yeah. because the bite size is is you know it's it's not like you you build a mine with the amount that you lend out and then the mine doesn't work and then therefore the latent infrastructure is useless. It's not quite yeah. the same equation. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right, Travis. It's um you're not taking on that project finance risk. You know we're effectively like a bridging facility. You know you've got you've got your you know for example you've got your BFS done or you've got a good um, uh, feasibility study done. You've got a resource. You might have a reserve, small reserve. You're building that out. Um, you might have a mining lease, or you might be well advanced on getting a mining lease. But if you've got those three things, you've got real tangible security. And and if if things don't progress through to project finance, then we're pretty confident that we can sell that asset for at least to get our, our debt back, which is up to $10 million. Um and the, the benefit of the resources industry is there's always some other engineer or, or a geologist who thinks they can do something better. So, you know, if a project does go a bit askew, there's probably someone out there who's who's kept their eye on it for a while and you can go and sell it to them. Um, but it's about, you know, pretty, pretty immersed in the industry at that stage because you've got to know who's who in the zoo. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and and keep and, and also, you know, there's there's still some pretty there's some still some pretty hairy projects out there. Some still some cowboys, um, but our sort of DD process means we can filter those ones out quite well. So you're staying out of project financing. Uh, that's that's the mandate. Like you're not you're not we looking have, to go into that side of things because of the risk. Yeah, we look. We prefer to be the only lender and get refinanced out at that stage. We've done one, uh-huh. uh, which is a bit bigger, and we're sort of ten out of forty mil, which went into a project finance. Um, that's G6 Metals, um, the, the old King Island Shelight um, Tungsten project down on um, King Island in Tassie. Uh, look, you know, they're going through project ramp up like they would normally do. Um, 
And but that's one that we've stayed in. But to be honest, we like the project, we like the management. I think the board is exceptionally strong. And that, you know, for those sort of uh, more qualitative reasons, we stayed in um, in that one, uh, even though it's a little bit outside of what we would normally do. Mm. Dan, how do, how do you think about getting paid back, given you said you're that sort of bridging facility in the middle yeah. on that sort of uprising part of the, the Lausanne curve for companies on their way? Yeah. Are you, are you anticipating that the capital that comes in in the next round, you know, whether that be an equity debt mix to actually get the project built, is that what pays you back? That's right. Yeah. So we we go into our facilities thinking that we'll be refinanced out, that we won't sit there and, and the loan will expire in four years or, you know, four years and then an extension. We we fully expect to be refinanced out. Um, you know, that that's that's part of the benefit of of the facility for investors too, is that you sort of you're able to harvest options in a way. You know, you do one project, you refinanced out two and a half years later, you got a package of options. You can still sit there and wait for those options to come into the money, and then you can go and redeploy that cash elsewhere. Um, so it's sort of a it's a model that can build on itself pretty pretty rapidly, um, which is what we're finding. You know, in this in this market, is there's plenty of demand. Um, you know, there's no shortage of projects around. It's just about the ability to deploy into that next stage or get finance at that next stage. That that's been the big. The big bugbear of the last eighteen months is there's very little financing around to move the projects through to that next project finance stage. And but we're usually, you know, pretty critical of um, of juniors when they yeah when they you know add, add debt to their yeah. to their capital structure before they actually have you know r- real line of sight to to operating cash flow. And um, and you guys being a bit of a, a bridging facility, you don't always have perfect line of sight to that operating cash flow. It might be a bit of an interim step to get a bit more work done before they can actually, you know, get yep. more funding in place. So yeah, it is, it's an interesting kind of interesting thing. I think if we saw an announcement where, um, where a junior had a, had some financing from you guys, we might, we, we might be a bit scathing of them, mate, but that said, <laughs> we're keen to talk about the deals that you've done because you clearly, when you pull the trigger on these deals, you have, um, you've, you've, you've built the credit case, but you've also got a positive outlook on the equity yeah. as well. And, yeah. and, and that's an interesting thing for us to talk about. The, yeah. the first one I wanted to, to bring up was Kingston resources. Yeah. And Maddie, this is a company that, um, like if I were to ask you, what are the two locations in the world you love the most? One would be Cobar, and the other one would be PNG. Oh, mate, how good's bloody PNG? <laughs> rugby league, mate. They're rugby league fans over there. <laughs> no, it's the it's the Atabasca Basin now. Oh Let's yeah, take yeah. It. <laughs> uranium mania, uranium bull. But Kingston's got both, and I knew both, them. Yep. I actually only knew them for the um the the Miss My Gold project, yep. which um yep. has a health endowment. But I guess it's pretty tough going to to develop things out these days. Yeah. You guys got involved to to help out. With um the the Cobar Mineral Hill project mm, there, what, yeah. what was the what was the thinking around um around you know providing the the financing you did? Yeah, absolutely. I mean that one for us is a really good case study in a smaller project that doesn't need a huge amount of capital to get going again. So they they had bought the the Mineral Hill project um or uh, Kingston had bought the Mineral Hill project about two and a half years ago. Um, out of a private equity fund in in Texas that had ended up owning the uh, asset through a convertible note situation when it had sort of you know not not gone gone according to plan, uh, and they had sort of run that asset just for cash for about four years five years, 
prior to that, didn't really have a mine plan, didn't do anything on the reserves and really didn't invest in the project at all. Uh, what we liked about Kingston was the board and management. We thought they were really quality. So that attracted us to doing the facility in the first place. But they had the the smarts and the, they'd sort of been there, done that. Exceptional chairman, I have to say, who um, he really is, is, he's a consummate engineer, a um, guy called Mick Wilkes, who um, was ex-Oceana. But he, um, uh, you know, we, we always develop a pretty good close relationship with board and management through these processes. You know, we do a lot of picking and raking over the over the, the, the finer stuff. So um, we, we end up with a pretty good uh, uh, idea of where this project is and where it's going. And we like this one because you could get straight into cash generation. They had a tailings project and, you know, for every 100 tailings project that you've seen, 99 of them don't make any money. And this one actually has made money. It's um, It's been run really well. So they've more than repaid, you know, they paid about 23 million bucks for the asset. They've generated about 28 million bucks of cash out of it so far. So that's more than paid for itself. But it had a really good outlook in terms of gold and copper, copper especially, um, as they move through the project. So it's a bit of a stage project. But one of the reasons that we liked it as well is it's full mining lease. You know, the, the, you don't have to go through that whole process. And, you know, 20 years ago to get a mining lease might take you 18 months. Now you've got a good seven or eight years. Uh, and it had a mill. Uh, and it's only a small mill, sort of 360,000 tonne, um, but you can expand it. And it's the, there's another mill in southern Cobar, but there's not many around them. So it's a bit of a strategic asset there. And they've got What's some, the other one? Uh, I think it's Hira. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah, wow. There so, you go. Yeah, so there's not a lot in between. So there's a lot that we, you know, we're pretty favourable on, on gold and copper here as well. So... Lots to like about that one. Now they will need some more capital as they grow over time. We 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 went in fully aware that we're not going to be there in terms of the debt forever. Um, they will get much bigger. So, but but it's a project that we really like and ticked a lot of boxes. And hey, we figured if all went wrong, we could definitely sell that project for at least ten million bucks. So um, that got us across the line on that one pretty comfortably. Yeah, Jesus, are like bloody loan sharks. Like the, you know, <laughs> when you get a mor- the mortgage, the high interest rate mortgage, they're like, no, nah, just refinance it in a year. It's a bloody yeah. interesting spot to be, isn't it? And yeah, that it is, is a good. That's a good description, yeah. I reckon, because you like the the people who you know use you, they they're kind of paying twice for the same money, but they're doing it because they don't have access to other capital. Other capital yeah. is even going to be going to be more expensive. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you think about all these miners down here for the last. Um, 12 months or so, 18 months, their cost of equity is off the charts. Um, to do to do a 12% interest rate is is not anywhere near their cost of equity. Um, and you think about where interest rates have gone in the last two years as well. And, I mean, we get inbounds from property developers now, whereas you wouldn't have had that two years ago. Uh, yeah. But property developers doing 12, 12.5% interest rates is not uncommon anymore. So... Um, the interest rate game has changed at the small end, that's for sure. <laughs> Isn't it funny? In one one year, twelve and a half percent unforeseen last year, but yeah. now we're all paying six or seven on our home loans. Yeah, so yeah, exactly, exactly. Things change very quickly. Yeah. But the thing is with that, guys, is the optics of it as well, right? Because we want the equity work. You know, we want other people to come into the stock and buy it. So we don't want to kill the company with debt. You know, that's the last thing we want to do. And we're also like we're pretty wary of who we invest in as well. There's a time and a place for debt, 
you know, I get a lot of inbound from explorers and things like that. But the last thing you want is debt in an exploration project, um, you know, for the company and for us. Uh, so we're pretty picky about who we who we work with. Yeah. So is your your fund and yeah. the way you do things? Yeah. Do you are you much better in a higher interest rate environment because you're more appealing, or which? Yeah. How does it work from your end? It's a bit of it's a bit of both, to be honest, Matty. You, you know, when we set up the fund three years ago, uh, you know, commodity markets were were running pretty strong, uh, and we were seen as a good sort of uh, secondary uh, capital plug. So you might go and raise fifteen mil, twenty mil, and put in a ten mil debt piece behind us, uh, you know, which was us, sorry, uh, behind that equity. So that's. Um, that worked really well, and then but now it's a case of well, you know, you can't really raise equity very easily at this end of the market. It's almost impossible. Um, so uh, we're seen as a very, very uh, much a less dilutive form of, of an equity raise, right? Because if you think about another stock that we went into, Comet Ridge, you know, when we invested into them, they've done really well. But when we invested into them, the market cap was sixty mil. Uh, we priced our options at a market cap of about uh, first round was about 110 and the second round was about 150. Market cap is currently 240, 230, right? So all those options are well and truly in the money. But if they had if they had raised equity at 60 mil, you know, they would have diluted themselves to the tune of over $25 million at this point just to raise 10 million bucks. So we're actually saving the money in the long run. If you think it's a good project, happy to pay a bit of debt, but you're not diluting yourself anywhere near as much as doing a big equity raise at the wrong price. Mm. What's, the, what's the time period you tend to chuck on those options, Dan? We tend to chuck them about two years post the length of the of the loan. And so that's did, four years sort of standardly? Yeah, three to four years. So if we did four-year loan, uh, might be $10 million, 12% interest rate, and six-year six year options. Now, the reason we do that, um, and we always price those options at a premium, as I said, the reason we do that is because it gives us a bit more equity optionality because these small mining projects often don't go to plan. <laughs> they take longer and they cost more. Uh, we're aware that companies will have to raise more money. So, you know, we do get diluted in terms of our ownership of that company as well, but you know, because the options are sitting there, the money it, it doesn't it doesn't hold back the stock. Um, what we found it's not a it's not an impediment, or, or we're definitely trying not to be an impediment to other investors coming in. Gotcha. And what's the thinking then? Once you've you know get you get to the point, I'm not sure if you've you've got there yet on any of your stocks where you've actually exercised them. How do you think about it? Given your uh, you know a, a sort of debt fund, yeah. What's do you have a policy around how you exercise them? And you know, turn it into equity and sell, and give it back to investors. Or what's the thinking there? Yeah, I mean, we have our own sort of internal valuations. So when a stock runs up to something, and you know, we think it's fair value, then we'll look to exercise those those warrants. Uh, now we're we're all equity analysts by background, right? Um, so we've all worked in financial markets for eighteen plus years. Uh, so you know, we've got pretty good relationships with the brokers and that sort of thing. So if we want to exercise some warrants, you might exercise two or three million bucks at a time. You know, you're not exercising huge, huge chunks of shares. Um, so, you know, we've got some good relationships with brokers. We'll go and ask them to place that stock. 
um, in most cases, or we'll talk directly to other fund managers and say, hey, are you interested in buying this? Um, you know, if we exercise, we can do a, a, a direct sale to you guys, um, which happens as well. So uh, just um, it just depends on the situation, to be honest, JD. It, it really is just, it, it's pretty bespoke. Um, but um, but certainly in 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 this market too, that option exercising options another form of capital for the companies, so they don't mind it. You know, we're not going to sit there and hold the equity. You know, we are converting to sell, but we're converting at a point where we're in the money and those options are in the money too. Gotcha. That yeah. that makes that makes sense given the the sort of structure of the fund. Yeah. Y- you mentioned uh, G six metals earlier. I'm keen to touch on it. We had our first foray into tungsten not too long ago. I'm not sure if you caught yeah. it. We spoke about uh, EQ Resources, the yep. project up in a uh, project and acquisition up in up in Spain. Yeah. yeah. And I think we touched on yesterday as well a bit of a, a tungsten project in and around the the Telfer area too, but. Yep. This one, one Australia, mate, hidden with hidden right next to Telfer. Mate, bloody tungsten. Tungsten <laughs> could be the next big thing. <laughs> so I'm keen yeah. to I'm keen to get yeah. into this one in yeah. in two sort of different ways, Dan. Yep. Firstly, I want to hear about how restart projects play into your thesis. Obviously, yeah. you spoke about the Lasson curve, but restarts seem like an interesting sort of niche that you could play well in. Yeah. And as well get a bit more insight into the into the world of tungsten down in Tassie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, brownfield restarts is perfect for us because they probably have a mining lease. They probably have some infrastructure uh, and the capital requirements aren't as big as going in and doing a big greenfield project. And, and, and you know, you get security on that infrastructure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, so, you know, from day one, we sort of looked at that and thought that's a pretty good hunting ground for us. And a lot of our projects are in that, um, in that zone. You think about G6 and King Island Shealite, as it was previously known, it took them 15 years to restart that project um, in terms of getting permits. Like, it's absolutely crazy. Um, and we came in at the last at the last bit, right? Um, so, you know, um, we weren't there for the whole rigmarole, but that's part of the, the challenge of resources and why we sort of put extra years on our options um, is to make sure that, you know, we've got enough leeway. But tungsten, yeah. Look, this this is a it's an interesting commodity. It's not that well known. Um, there are a couple of interesting projects now in Australia, and we like it from a few perspective. One one is you know the the two projects that are restarted in Australia. That's the first supply in the Western world in over twenty years coming online. Uh, you know, China dominates that market. It's about eighty five percent of the market is is comes out of China. Uh, and um, and in this, Sandvik owns a mine as well, don't they? Bloody, yeah, they got a test mine yeah, where they're at their factory. I don't think yeah. it produces. Yeah. It's just where they go and put all the drills and shit down yeah. and just because it's such a hard. It's so tungsten's hard, yeah. isn't it? So you bloody build drill bits out of it. Don't mm. you? Yeah, that's and right. Tungsten, yeah, tungsten carbon. Drill bits and yeah, yeah. Um, it go. It's got a lot of applications, and um, you know, but we don't have to sit here. You know, three years ago, if you, we're talking about resource nationalism people would have laughed at you but today it's a real thing and uh you know certainly when you talk about allies and things like that you know we've got some fairly close allies that like the fact that we have non-domicile non-china domiciled tungsten uh so all these projects are definitely on the radar of you know japanese u.s governments that type of thing uh and definitely coming into focus i think in the next few years in terms of 
where where those economies source their next supply of tungsten from. So one of the biggest uses of tungsten is actually in defense equipment um, because of its high, very high melting point. Uh, you can put it in things that rotate, obviously drill bits and things like that. But if you're thinking about um, very expensive defense equipment, uh, you don't want to take any chances with that. And the melting point of tungsten, believe it or not, is something like three and a half thousand degrees. It's half the temperature of the sun. Um, it's it's ridiculously hard stuff, but you use it in a lot of applications that you just don't think about these days. So given those few things, it's there's not a lot of supply coming on anywhere. Uh, the price is remarkably resilient. Uh, even in the commodities downturn in the last 18 months, it's hung in there really well. So uh, we think that's got some pretty good upside. So like all these projects, it goes through a few teething problems. Um, companies coming up the curve in terms of its production um, stats, and I reckon in the next twelve months, it's got a pretty good. It's got a pretty good outlook. Mate, pivoting a little bit to the um, the 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 a different type of company, I, I looked at the you know the the outstanding kind of the debt book that you got there. Yeah. And I noticed Deckmill on there, and I haven't. Yeah. Deckmill is a company I haven't put any brain effort into thinking about for over three years, I reckon. Yeah, yep. But it's not a, it's not a mining company. So, like, no. what's, like, how did this one pop up, and what's the, the rationale? Yeah, what so, do you get security on in the process? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they've got a few assets in their portfolio that um, are a bit left field, uh, a little bit left. I remember they had a they had a big fight with was it the New Zealand government or something at one point? Was it, oh, I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. Yep. And, they were building a yeah, wind like, farm, right? Yeah, 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 and the New South Wales government as well, um, over a solar farm actually. But solar like farm. all like all contractors, um, they've all you know. To be honest, I cover the contractor space for a very long time on the sell side, and um, the old CFO of Leighton's once told me that they make more margin inside the courtroom than outside of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and <he's> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How funny is that? Yeah. And uh, but um, yeah, Deckmill was a bit different in terms of it's got its mining. It's a mining contractor at heart, right? But it's become more of a civils business, and particularly in the last two years, more of a civils business. So we went into that probably three years ago. It had it had uh, uh, had its ch- share of challenges, right? You know, it had a, quite a few spectacular project blowups. Uh, it needed some capital, uh, and we were able to, you know, sort of go over the wall, um, if you like, and and do our DD on the debt side. Um, but where the where the company has, you know, sort of come to now is it's sort of righted itself, um, and it's in a pretty good position to actually generate some decent growth here. So, yeah, definitely one that's been unloved and unlooked at by the market. You know, institutional investors, I think, sort of stopped looking at it a couple of years ago. Um, but definitely has has sorted it itself out, and with our financing help as well, um, you know, has able to you know grow their order book and and get themselves back on track. And you know, for one of a better term, it's probably like a a wounded athlete, if you know what I mean. You know, the guys who probably did the ACL, bit questionable whether they'll come back next season. But you know, bit of bit of TLC, bit of spit and polish, and shine them up, and away you go. But Dan, just I mean, they're not, they're not the only company that Instos in that mining services space have yeah. fallen out of out of love with. That yeah. the sector's pretty it's a hard sector. Yeah, pretty hated across the board. How did you think about yeah. structuring the 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 oppies or the, the warrants in that case? Given that yeah. you know you don't have the developer producer re rate in in sight with a company like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in all of our uh, term sheets as well, uh, we have sort of reset mechanisms on those options. So they can, you know, if they do a really big dilutive equity raise, we can get reset on those. So we don't get a volumetric reset. We can get a price reset in certain circumstances, right? Um, and that gives us a bit of downside protection um, and protects our investors. So that, despite the sh that share price going from, or sorry, market cap going on from about 180 mil to now 25, we're actually making money off that, off that position, um, believe it or not. So it's um, it looks from the outside like it's been a hard run, and it has been a hard run. If you're in the equity for that stock, you are shot to bits. Um, but we're we're not. So that that's 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 where the, the benefit of the fund comes in. When, when did you get involved with Decmel? Oh, close to three years ago now. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. The benefit of uh, debt versus <laughs> equity. Sometimes, like uh. some sometimes, it's honestly. I know I've spoken to some mining companies too, where they've looked at their own returns and they've sort of said, "Geez, I wish we were in the debt and not in the actual ownership of this business." Um, <laughs> sometimes it's sometimes it's a better place to be, right? Um, you sit at the top of the capital stack, you know, equities below you, um, and you get you get first by the cherry as a senior secured lender. So, yeah, and as long as the the company, you know maintains access to capital markets yeah 100%. There's, there's a decent probability that you know new equity can 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 solve the balance sheet which means that you as the debt holder get sorted out yeah that's right look you know and and look to be honest to um it's probably our first and last mining contractor that we'll be involved with i'd say as well <laughs> <laughs> well be, being a mining services yeah. guru mate what yeah. Tell us what is a good mining service company. What what makes it up, and why? I guess the market's so unloved, and what's the cause of most of them being so unloved? Yeah, yeah. Look, I started covering, you know, Leightons and um, UGL and Transfield and all these guys in about two thousand and eight, uh, and uh, so I've been looking at that sector pretty much since then. I've looked at overseas as well. I covered all the big guys, you know, Hot Teeth and ACS and Afarge, you know, all the big French contractors. Um, as well, so uh, I've looked at a lot of them. I think uh, where they get wrong is mispricing their own risk and not having enough flexibility on their own balance sheet. So mining contracting is is or you know service based contracting is flipping hard game. You know when you look, very fucking yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, you just especially in this environment, just oh. throw it in the bank. Oh yeah, far yeah. out because they're only making two to five percent. Some well, of them. yeah, that's exactly right. And you look at, you know, I always looked at it a bit of trepidation. And as a sell side analyst, there were certain investors that just never looked at it. Right, they were like, "Nah, I'm out. Don't even bother talking to me about it." Uh, and when you get on the other side and you can actually see the books, you're like, "Holy geez, your working capital swing each month is bigger than your market cap." No. Um, it is unbelievable. So um, the, I think I think what separates the good ones from the bad is an ability to assess risk. Like Monadelphus, right? Uh, I covered for a long time and uh, went overseas, stopped covering them, came back, met up with the met up with the um, the management again, and they all sort of said, "Oh, look, we'd never get into these wind farms and solar solar farms. It's just too risky." Um, and I asked them why, and they said, "Well, the government is just wanting to outsource their risk to everybody else. They want to they want to be off risk as much as possible." And I remember, sort of ten years ago, or more, sort of maybe fifteen years ago, that you know the likes of UGL 
had all come out and said, oh, we de- we're de-risking, we're going away from mining contracting and into government-based services. Turns out that was the highest risk move they could have done. They would be much better off just sticking to coal mining. Um, they would have made more money and probably come out of the other side looking okay. But, you know, your, your partner in that regard in terms of the government is judge, jury and executioner. Not only do they pay you, they assess you and they can make up the rules and change them as they go. So I think giving yourself enough flexibility in your balance sheet. And to be honest, no debt is probably where you want to be for a contractor, right? I think um, these guys get into trouble because they can't get access to capital. They take on too much debt and the debt spirals out of control. You know, you look at a little one um, I used to look at as well, Mastermind, it's now known as Metarock up in uh, North Queensland. And like they were the best underground coal contractor in the country. Uh, there weren't many of them, but they were you know, just known for quality, quality um, uh, work. And they were doing 10, 11, 12% margins. They were doing pretty well uh, for a long time, but got into trouble by uh, basically going from a, a no debt situation to then, you know, the debt became 80, 90% of their EV uh, within 18 months because they had a massive contract go wrong uh, on a coal mining in, in Queensland that, in the end, never even started. They lost money on a project. They never started. It was unbelievable. But just that risk dynamic, they they didn't get quite right. And now the company is, you know, it's a it's a shade of, a, of its former self. All the old good management's gone. The board's turned over. Um, yeah, the market cap was about 300 mil. It's now about 40. Do you, do you think contractors should go public? Because, like, you look at some of the biggest ones, like Burncut and Tease, like yeah. they're private, but, you know, the ones that are public are just just get bloody hammered, it appears. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, you have a, you have a good announcement and your share price doesn't move and you have a slightly negative one, your share price is down 20%. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sector that I think, you know, well, I mean, Leighton's really developed that outsourced contracting model 20 years ago, right? And um, they did it in response to um, the Queensland coal business, which they were, you know, involved with the development of through Sir Leslie Teese back 70 years ago, right? And he teamed up with the Japanese and they built um, they built coal mines. It was the old Utah coal, which then got taken over by BHP. And um, so they've had a long history in it, but the market never understood it. And then they got too too funky going overseas, taking on too much debt, had some major issues. You know, there was corruption scandals. There was, you know, backhanders here and there and everywhere. Um, probably shouldn't say that on a public pod- podcast, but um, uh, they were done for it in the past. Um, and the model died. You know, you look at it now and, you know, the old, old guard doesn't even exist. It's basically just Simic and uh, Len Lease and... Even Len Lease has got rid of his contracting business. So, mm. you know, um, uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't I don't see a lot of um, potential for that sector to come back in the future. I think it's, it's going to dwindle into, you know, it's going to be one or two big contractors left and that's it. Interesting, mate. Too hard in the public space. It's, yeah. It's, it's fascinating that a, a debt investor holding a, a mining services business <laughs> tells them that they uh, shouldn't yeah. be touching debt but yeah, oh, look, yeah. four to four to six years <laughs> yeah that's gone. right yeah. oh look that's that's where we sort of differ a bit right is because 
will be upfront with people and say, I don't think your company should have debt or that's too much debt. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that we still want the equity to work. That's ultimately what we want. You know, there's mechanisms for us to make money, but we want the equity to work. We will make far more money from that equity return than we ever will from the debt. Dan, you, you used to be a um, an energy analyst as well, I understand. Yep. You've got, you know, pretty good breadth of covering. Jeez, the, you're good at everything, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell my wife. Tell Can you tell my wife? <laughs> yeah. I will, mate. I'll send to the link. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I compared you to JD before with the blonde hair, but I get the I get the same feel. Have you ever did you, we listened to um, Dale Henderson's voice on on analyst calls? And it's a very deep voice, but he's got that baby looking face, similar to you, mate. Like a yeah, remarkably yeah. deep voice, but like you know, smooth skin. It's like it doesn't, it doesn't stack up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, it's quite funny because I started the fun during COVID as well, right? And didn't yeah. get out to sight to see people. And when I met them, they were, holy geez, I'm not a short guy either, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm just over six foot four. And they all sort of were like, oh, my God, you look like a midget on your screen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> my desk and my monitors sit very high. <laughs> uh, but I'm keen to, keen to get your, um, your lay of the land and the, yeah. and the energy front. I think yeah. Um, yeah. Th- there's, there's a lot of renewed in- interest in in energy and I yeah. think like a typical value investor is is looking at the landscape and and, and thinking this is this is where relative value is right now. How do you kind of weigh up the, the the trading multiples of the the coal stocks, the oil and gas stocks, you know, domestically, you know, both um onshore or offshore? Yeah. Uh look, I think I will start by saying that um, politicians have got way too involved in energy markets and therefore those markets have become completely screwed up. And you may as well buy all forms of energy because they have screwed up all forms of energy and it will all go up um, over time, whether it's renewable, whether it's, you know, um, you know, everyone's talking about nuclear now, coal. Coal will be here for a very long time. It will outlive all of us, um, even thermal coal, as much as people uh, want to you know, denigrate that. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, 2021 was the peak year for, for coal use. Um, and everybody talks about how much it's been on the decline. And, and you know, coal use then surpassed that peak in 2022. Um, amazingly, you know, couldn't really forecast that. Uh, and it surpassed it again last year. Um, so, you know, each year we keep talking about the death of coal and each year we use more and more coal. Um, so we're clearly not slowing down. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's about global GDP, um, right? You know, the... The Western world is reducing its coal usage, no doubt, um, but it's outsourced all of its manufacturing to Asia. And guess where um, all the coal usage is increasing right hand over fist is Asia, uh, not just China, but all through Southeast Asia. And if you look at coal, it is still by far the cheapest all-in form of energy. Uh, and then it's because of the form of energy that it produces AC power versus DC power. And, you know, you can get solar systems and wind systems that can produce on a per kilowatt generation basis cheaper than coal. Definitely. Absolutely. You know, it goes negative. Price goes negative all the time. But an all-in delivered cost, like getting it to your power point in your home or your factory, coal is still the cheapest form of energy. And that's why it's being built in Asia everywhere. Um, You know, you look at the recent nickel price collapse and you look at all the big nickel mines built in Indonesia. Uh, there's a big EV park um, that got uh, Inflation Reduction Act funding, and they built coal-fired power stations next to it to to fire the EV park. 
<laughs> so Indonesia built five coal-fired power stations last year to fire um, their nickel industry. Um, so, I think I heard, I think I heard some stat like when an EV rocks up to your door, it's already used twenty tons of carbon to produce it, whereas yeah. it's seven compared to a, a petrol or diesel yeah. car. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so I, I covered coal space for a long time. You can probably tell. Um, but um, I think your, your, your question, Travis, about trading, trading multiples and that type of thing, it reflects a big shift in investor base. You know, you look at Aussie, the Aussie market, 70% of flows now are big industry super funds. Uh, and a lot of them have, have just run Airstreet crate screens and they say no fossil fuels. Uh, globally, that, that happens as well, right? So the trading multiples are, uh, you know, depressed. Uh, but over time, I think um, these assets will go private. We're seeing more and more of them go private. Uh, but I think we're at an interesting inflection point now in that a lot of the owners of these assets know the value. So, you know, while it might be your company might be trading on three or four times, there are a lot of people who will line up to buy those assets, right? You know, there's, there was a thermal coal mine sold in Queensland last year uh, called Ensham. Uh, underground thermal. Now, you would think that would be the most on-the-nose asset in history. First round bids, yep. 23 separate bids. Wow. Wow. And I'm guessing they're, you know, largely private entities All, yeah. because there's, yeah, yeah pr- private capital has been able to aggregate and um, say, here's an opportunity for us to to make outsized yeah. returns. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, you look at, you, you know, two years ago, we had the big supply chain issues with coal into the Ukraine and Russia. And um, we, you, people made crazy money. Um, but, you know, investors out there, you know, private private investment funds and family offices look at that and they go, well, right, well, we can buy this asset. Um, you know, maybe it's not super cheap now. Three or four years ago, they were being sold too cheap. Now people know the value. But you have another year like that and you've just made intergenerational money <laughs> from one year. Uh, and I think that's what people look at um, still. And you know certainly Metcoal we're not going is not going anywhere anytime fast as much as Twiggy is punching out iron ore in the Pilbara and Gina and BHP and Rio you need just as much decent Metcoal and they're not turning that off in Queensland uh, and you've seen BHP recently come out and saying you we're not selling any more assets we're pretty right sized um, we know there's upside and we know the value for ourselves and you know you look at these companies too right the likes of South Thirty Two and Illawarra <laughs> makes all the money and. They need that. No, it really does. Yeah, they need a lot of money. Um, they need the cash flow from Illawarra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll just direct you to this poo over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dan, the, the, how do you, yeah. if, if you were to kind of, you know, surmise the relative, uh, you know, coal stocks? What's the, yeah. what's the like, you know, the one line takeaway when you, when you think about, you know, Whitehaven versus Stanmore versus versus Yankol, mm. even versus New Hope versus a. Um, Coronado, like mm. what are your what are your you know big takeaways looking at the landscape of ASX coal stocks? Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of these companies have bought assets off the majors and they're doing a lot better with them now. You know, there were sort of minnows previously. Um, even New Hope bought um, Bengala off um, Rio, uh, probably what twenty eighteen now. Uh, everyone said at the time they paid too much for it and they made it back in about two years. Um, I think I think we're at a point now where 
you've got to back good management teams. And there's some actually really good management teams in these companies now, you know, Stanmore and New Hope. These guys genuinely know what they're doing. Um, there is cash out there for uh, for asset acquisitions. And when they come up, these guys are, are not afraid to bid, right? You know, there's some bids going on at the moment for certain assets of publicly listed companies. Uh, and there's some big numbers flying around. And they're all from domestic Aussies and some of them are listed. So you can still get access to capital. Um, they will still grow. The assets will always trade at a discount in the public sector. But, you know, before before Whitehaven bought the BHP assets, they were pretty much trying to take themselves private through ongoing buybacks. Um, and I think that's where the assets will end up over time. But it's probably a case of buybacks to take them private. How, how do you think about royalties in the context? Yeah. We obviously saw the big ones in, in Queensland. Yeah. And you're based in Brisbane, are you? I am, yeah. Are you talking about government royalties and the and the yeah yeah the yep. the, the government you know whether that be state federal yeah oh uh, look it, uh, the the sector has um, pushed back on them very hard and and you know rightly so when you look at what Coronado and these guys paid out in um, in royalties you can get pretty good line of sight uh, you know I think they paid a billion almost a billion dollars in royalties in the last eighteen months um, on that alone you know the Queensland government when they brought the uh, royalty uh, regime in, they were talking about increasing uh, royalties by about $2 billion a year. They ended up being closer to 16 um, by the time they were done with it in the first year that that was, um, that was in, the, in the sector. So, look, I think it'll be a bit of a political bargaining piece. Uh, I think Queensland has a bit of a different view on coal because it's such an ingrained part of the economy, you know, you can walk down the street and have a chat with anyone and most people will, even if they're anti-coal, will sort of say, well, look, you know, it pays for all the roads and pays for the bridges in Brisbane and without it, half of Brisbane would disappear um, in terms of just support services. So, look, I think I think the New South Wales government increased them recently, but they were pretty measured in their increase. It wouldn't surprise me if the Queensland royalty scheme is wound back a little bit. There's an election later this year. I think the the ALP government is in at the moment. The LNP is sort of in the lead in terms of polling. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a bit of a bargaining chip. Now, you look at what's happened now in terms of the big guys and particularly, say, a Mike Henry at BHP, and he's not investing in Queensland anytime soon, that's for sure. By the time they put the royalty regime through and then these changes in IR laws, he's putting all of his focus into South American copper, I'd say. Um, yeah, he's so, very, very vocal about that. Yeah. Oh, and it has created a real international rift as well, JD. I think that's the important takeaway is, uh, you know, even the fund that we run, or I run it at, at Pure, uh, we're not a huge fund, right? Um, but I get contacted by Japanese government officials asking if I know anyone who's got thermal coal. Um, they're very wow. worried about it. They, they they are very worried about how they get access in the future, and they're worried about gas as well. You know all the rhetoric on gas, and I think the the federal resources minister has made some overtures lately, and she's been in Japan, and I think there's been a lot of apologies behind the scenes. So, you, you know, you've seen also the likes of say Chevron CEO come out and say it's an absolute, you know, uh, political nightmare to work in Australia now. CEO of Chevron does not say that on a whim. 
you know, that's probably gone through 25 sets of hands, you know, PR, lobbyists, chiefs of staff, everything, before he goes and says something like that. Japanese, similar. They don't say things in public that they don't mean. So they've been pretty vocal. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the resource nationalism is a big thing. But from a, from an ally's perspective, I think even they're looking at Australia going, this is too hard now. This is created a risk. So I think I think it will be walked back a little bit, um, but it won't be walked back the whole way. You know, I think, you know, if you look at the supply and demand dynamic of, of fossil fuels, demand keeps going up. There's not a lot of new supply coming on. It means the price will keep going up over time. So if you've got those assets like Queensland does and New South Wales does, making a bit more on the royalty is probably the, the offset for allowing you to keep going in that sector for as long as you can yeah it's a it's a fascinating balance that you, you touch on there between the um the people wanting to support the industry because it employs people as well yeah. as you know reaping the rewards in terms of infrastructure and those things and on the other hand disincentivizing investment yeah yeah absolutely i think you've nailed it there today yeah absolutely yeah yeah why don't we pivot to um the the oil and gas stock scene yeah. you you brought up chevron and the Japanese there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got um, you know two in the portfolio being uh, Vintage Energy, yep. but also also Comet Ridge. Yeah. You know, how, how do you assess the funding needs of these these types of companies? Mm. You know, and how do, how do you get comfortable with the investment case and, on, on these stocks versus say, you know, your typical mining company where yeah, you know, there might be a bloody a, a, an old mill that you can see is worth ten million bucks. Yeah. You still got your Comet Ridge says JD. Yeah. Ding ding ding. Got a couple oh, of them lying go. around. Bloody she's trying to sneak her in. Nah, we'll, ch- we'll chuck it in the intro. <laughs> keen, to, keen to hear your thoughts, Dan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two very different projects and invested for different reasons, but the same, same thematic really uh, is we are sleepwalking to an East Coast gas disaster, as you guys have had your guests on before, um, you know, talking about. I think we all realise it. There's not a lot of people actually pulling their trigger and saying, hang on, how do we invest in this and make some money over time? Um, and it's not easy. You know, oil and gas is pretty high risk and it's big capital. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people have been burned in the past. And, um, and but, you know, we looked at the two projects for two different reasons. One, Vintage being smaller, but they're in the Cooper Basin, very good management team. Uh, their assets are smaller, so they don't need as much capital suited us from an investment perspective. Uh, Comet Ridge huge potential asset like if they get this going and get it right that alone could pretty much plug the east coast gas gap um it'll be bigger than narrabri it'll cost about a third less of uh, in terms of capex of narrabri and santos is your jv partner there and i think they know that too so i think um you know when we looked at comet it was it was further away from development and it will need hundreds of millions of dollars of capex to develop it its fields, right? Um, but what attracted us to that is the quality of the asset and the and the potential strategic outcomes. You know, that is an asset that, you know, from a Comet Ridge perspective, they probably won't be able to develop fully. You know, they'll they'll get it turned on, I think. Um, but I think, you know, in the fullness of time, that is one that I, it probably ends up in someone else's hands um, to develop it properly and you know, they've got the obvious JV partner there with Santos, but, you know, could well go into someone else's hands over time. 
Um, hopefully, you're, hopefully they take it out at a price where your oppies are in the money, mate. Yep, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, they, they already are, aren't they? They're well and truly in the money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you've got it. Beauty Yep. No. Hopefully, you lose the state of origin then this year. Yeah. <laughs> things out. I'll, um, no, it's interesting. Yeah. What, what's it, what's yeah. it, what are the 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 relative differences in the 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 permitting um, pathways for both Narrabri and and Comet Ridge? Yeah. Uh look, yeah, very. Very different. Um, Queensland government is, you know, they're not. They understand a gap that we need gas. As I said earlier, Queensland's a bit different. Um, it's not to say it's easy. You know, there's uh, probably one half the government says, "Yeah, we need gas." The other half says, "Well, we're not going to need gas in five years, so why would we approve another project?" So there's a bit of a dichotomy in there. Um, but what you don't have as much around Comet is the public um, introspection that you do at Narrabri. You know, the lock the gate people. Um, now, I grew up on the Darling Downs, right? And lock the gate when I was a kid was a good thing. It was farmers and um, uh, and it was people protecting their property. And there were some really bad things done by the gas industry back in the day. Um, it got hijacked by some pretty extreme types, though. So lock the gate now is a lobbyist activist organisation. It has its place, but in some cases and in, in terms of Narrabri, it's probably gone a bit too far. So they're throwing court injunctions and that type of thing all over the place. Um, what I think Santos also probably has realised is it's very expensive to, to develop the gas there uh, because of the faulting in the ground. So if you'd looked at, say, a Whitehaven result and you looked at Narrabri and the underground operation they've got there, they hit faults all the time, right? Their underground panels don't, don't have a great um, uh, runway in terms of life before they hit some pretty hard rocks. And the same thing will happen at the gas, with the gas as well, as they hit a lot of faulting. So where you can get very, very long lateral wells in at Mahalo in Queensland for Comet Ridge, and you're talking sort of four kilometre long wells, you're probably going to have to do very short laterals or almost verticals in, um, in the coal seams in Narrabri. And that's why the capex for Comet Ridge will be so much less than Narrabri over time. And it means your productivity is going to increase. So your cost of gas is lower um, uh, at Comet Ridge and you'll probably be producing quite a bit more of it. Even though Narrabri is sort of slated at 110, 120 PJs a day, uh, TJs a day, sorry, um, production, um, Nar uh, Mahalo will probably beat that. And I doubt Narrabri will ever get there because of that geology factor. Now, that's not a... Um, a knock on the Narrabri project, it'll probably still happen at some point. But uh, Comet has a much easier path because it doesn't have that activist bent around it. Brilliant, mate. I um, I I've really enjoyed getting your insight on, on you know both the, the investment thesis and also some some energy intel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, I find it a pretty interesting thematic and. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us all the way from uh, the the east coast on a on your in your evening. No, absolutely. No, it's not getting too late over here, so always good to chat with you guys. And well, not that I've always chatted with you, but you know, <laughs> yeah, always good to chat about the sector um, and uh, and have a good chat with some um, some like minded types as well. So when I'm over, well, in, mate, Perth, I'm glad, I'll, when I'm over I'll, in Perth, I'll look you guys up. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure, mate. Don't don't come near me May, June, July around State of Origin. I don't talk to <laughs> Qu- I don't talk to Queenslanders during that period. So out of league season, that's all. We'll do as many interviews as you want. Absolutely, we'll get a bit shirty around that period. Uh, you from New South Wales originally, are you, mate? Yeah, I was born in uh, Inverell, not oh, right too eh? far from dirt. Toowoomba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloody, same go. sort of bloody temperature, cold as fuck. Yeah, yeah, I come yeah. over here and it's like it doesn't even get below double-digit degrees here and everyone's got bloody wood fires and bloody onesies <laughs> and thinking they're in Antarctica. Yeah. Like years ago, come to mine as eight once in your life and you'll get a bloody taste yeah, for it. Yeah, Far exactly, out. Exactly. People, people never believed me when I told them I was from Toowoomba and it used to get cold. People wouldn't believe me that it was from – you could get cold in Queensland, but it's bloody freezing there in the winter. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, and bloody yeah. hot in summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a bit of a rule, Dan. I'd love to love to run it by you to see if it it, it stacks up. Um, and that's that if an ASX mining company, if their corporate directory says that you know their their head office is in is in Brisbane, yep. but they're not they're not a you know Mount Isa copper play, and they're not a coal company, then mm. you should fucking sell the shares. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it's better than the Gold Coast. The Gold yeah, Coast Gold, is where well. Gold Coast yeah, is a roof. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> it's quite funny. There's some brokers down there. You know, there's still like a handful left and, you know, you sort of get your back up. You know, as soon as someone says, I'm a broker from the Gold Coast. Um, but there's one of them down there that's an absolute weapon and it's amazing. And he has, it's a bit like us. You have to introduce yourself and you go, I'm not here to screw your company up. I actually want to help. He's the same sort of thing where he goes, oh, look, I'm not, I'm not your traditional white shoe, you know, real estate salesman. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we're playing, we're planning a bit of an East Coast roadshow sometime this year, oh, mate. Good. So we'll, uh, we'll tee you up for a catch up. That'd That's be uh, sensational. And if you're over here, make sure you let us know. Absolutely, should be over there shortly, guys. So I'll look you up. Oh, I'll beautiful. Thanks pretty, for your time, uh, Dan. Great to chat, mate. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, we've got a fridge full of fridge full of piss here, mate. So you can come (laughs) knock yourself out. (laughs) Right, good bloody yarn, bloody. uh, Gee, you wouldn't think he's six foot four, would you? No, 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 but yeah, mate, not at all. What a deep voice. Very misleading. Mm. (laughs) No, bloody good, good insight into the mining services and everything. And just as I said, the it's yeah, hybrid alternative. Like the sound of it. It's um, is there any more out there? What'd you say? Um. Uh, Nabari. Oh uh, yeah, who, who does similar stuff? You see Nabari, they they lend a fair bit. Sometimes there's a you know a similar kind of uh, lending structure that Nabari do. But you also see GCI do some of this stuff too. I think both of them are you know bigger, bigger you know bigger lenders or you know credit funds. Um, G- GCI, likes. if they drop that eye off, they get a lot more business. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was waiting for that. <laughs> thanks, Abe. Dan, thanks, Abe. Lads, uh, and thanks to all the bloody legends that keep the lights on for us. Verify, Investor Hub, DSI, Underground, Spec Power and Technology, McMahon, Mining Title Services, Anytime Exploration, KCA Site Services, Brooks Airways, and the one and, and only... Adriel. Adriel. Money Miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.